First, I want to say it was mighty nice of my mom to send those pictures of me when I was just a child, you know. And uh, she spared no expense to get them all colored as well, I noticed that. So uh, great that you could be with us, also welcoming the people that are watching online as we continue our series called In Courage. Who doesn't need more courage? Raise your hand if you don't need any more courage. You have all the courage you need, you know. I, I think we all could use a dose of courage. Uh, life is hard even when it's good, and it's not good a lot of the time. So whatever condition of life you are, whether you're a student, whether you're a mom, a dad, uh, whether you're a leader or a participant in some other's leadership, all of us need to be encouraged. Uh, this is an exciting lesson. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 4. Last week, we, last week we looked at the nonconformist leader, a left-handed guy named Ehud, who was a judge in Israel. And he provided years of peace for Israel. Uh, but then things changed, and a new leader was required. But no leader could be found until a mother, a person by the name of Deborah, stepped up and stepped in, and things changed. So let's pray as we prepare our hearts to receive this word from God. May the words of my mouth, Lord, I'm going to be doing the speaking here, but I'm unfit for this work except by your Holy Spirit. But with your Holy Spirit, Lord, any and every one of us would be fit. As Moses said to Joshua, would that all God's people were prophets. That should be our attitude, Lord. So uh, help the people in the congregation to look past my faults and, and uh, any hurts they've received from me and, and, and just hear your word speak through me. Lord, focus on your word. Let me be faithful. And, uh, and then let the, the hearts of all those who are assembled, the people sitting here, the people watching online, remove any distractions you know, any overwhelming concerns that they have and just allow, Lord, your Holy Spirit to, to sneak into their heart and, and change them in such a way that they might be encouraged and become an encourager in this world so desperately needed. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. How many of you have heard of the Pareto Principle? Have you heard of that name before? Um, it's also called the rule of 80-20. Have you heard of that? It's also called the law of the effective few. I don't care for that title as much, but uh, it's, it's based on the discoveries of an Italian economist named Vilfredo Pareto uh, in 1906 or early 1900s. And as he was studying the economy of his nation, he noticed that 80% of the land, and as far as that goes, 80% of the wealth, fell under the control of 20% of the population. And as an economist for his country, he was thinking, well, what does this mean? And, and what nation hasn't considered that? And what nation hasn't tried to balance the scale a little bit? You know, socialism, communism, all the isms of the world have tried to address this apparent inequity in the world and, and what can be done about it. Should anything be done about it? And he was questioning this issue. And then he noticed that this principle finds its... Uh, practice in other forms of life as well. He was a gardener, and as he was shucking peas, back in the day we used to do that, you know, pick the pea pods, and he noticed that 80% of the peas came from 20% of the pods. And as he began to look at this, he noticed this principle applies in almost every condition of life. And I think it's interesting that God has put these things in place, and he must be amused that uh, we are subject to uh, rules that he has established that the world turns on that, that we are probably mostly ignorant of. 
And this is one of those such rules. In fact, in business, they study this principle as well because they've come to understand that 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. That's true. And even in manufacturing, always trying to uh, mitigate against accidents and things that rob you of your profits, they've noticed that 80% of the problems come from 20% of your hazards. That's why people study what goes on and try to change that. In churches, we've noticed this too. We notice that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of you folks. And maybe you're not in that 20%. We even have a name for that 20%. We call them high-capacity volunteers. We noticed also that 80% of our income comes from 20% of our donors. Now, we are always working at that 80%. We're thanking the 20%. Uh, but even if we change that 80% and move them into the 20 we just notice it resets. And that's just the condition of life. And I've also noticed this, that 80% of our complaints come from, you guessed it, 20% of you, you know. I would hope that you're not proud to be in that 20%. You know, we're going to be talking about that. And, and I said, does this, does this theory really hold up? You know, let me, let me try it in an area that's, uh, you know, not already documented. And so last night, I, I went online, and, and I pulled up. I was watching the Cardinals baseball game. I watched the Cardinals game. I think some of you do this in two-minute increments. You know, whenever uh, the program my wife is watching goes to commercial, boom. You know, we're, we're over watching the Cardinals game. And unless they're batting, then she says, turn it back, turn it back, turn it back. You know, so I, I'm watching it like that. And so I'm kind of fascinated by them. They're in this pennant race, you know, tied with pirates right now. Don't anybody cheer for the pirates. Uh, and, and, and so I thought, does that rule apply to them? And so I said, I wonder when it comes to RBIs, how does that work out? So uh, here's the statistics. You can find anything online. And here's how it worked out. The Cardinals have had 667 RBIs. I think last night, you know, they might have got a couple more, but 667 RBIs. 80% of that number would be 533. And then I looked at all the people who have come to bat for the Cardinals. Now, any uh, Major League Baseball team can carry 40 people on its roster, but only 25 on their active roster. And so they're always moving people up, moving people down. You know how that works. And uh, I looked at how many people have had an at-bat. How many people have stood in the batting box and taken a swing at a ball uh, this year for the Cardinals? And in my discovery, 36 of them have, have had an at-bat, an official at-bat uh, this year in, in the Cardinals team. And of those 36, to get to the 533 RBIs, seven of them uh, equal that amount, 19.4%. It must be true. So what's the point? The point is this, that whenever we teach on leaders, and, uh, and of course, <laughs> the people that stand out are the leaders, and they're the ones who get written about. I know you. You sit in the pew and say, Pastor, quit talking about the 20%. There are 80% of us out here that does not apply to. Would you talk to us for a minute? I'm not a leader. I don't aspire to be a leader. God hasn't designed me to be a leader. It doesn't apply. Would you talk to somebody other than leaders? Well, you're blessed today because Deborah was not a leader. <laughs> in, in fact, Deborah describes herself in chapter 5 as a mother in Israel. She was a godly woman, and people recognized her wisdom. They knew that she was in touch with God, and they came to her for wisdom. But she was not a leader. And so this scripture is especially for us in the 80%. And by the way, I would contend that you are a leader in some capacity of life. You know, maybe not at work, maybe not at church, maybe not in your volunteer organization, 
but you are a leader to someone in some capacity. If you are a mother, if you are a father, if you are a student, uh, you have a friend. In some relationship, uh, even leadership issues do apply. But let's just say in this matter, we're going to talk about influencers, as Deborah was, not so much the leaders that Barak was not. So here we go, Judges chapter 4. Let's look at uh, the scripture, the first couple of verses. I'm going to break it down that way and then uh, derive some points as we go. Again, the Israelites did evil. Again, they did evil, meaning after God had rescued them, I think Pastor Dion last week said that's what a judge is. He is a redeemer. He is a savior. That's what the Hebrew word means. After God rescued them under Ehud and they had 40 years of peace, they again did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them. Interesting concept. He didn't take any money for them. You know, but uh, in his divine way, he allowed their enemy to triumph over them, sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Now Sisera was his commander, the commander of Jabin's army. The commander of his army was based in Heresheth, Hagoim, because he had 900 chariots. You know, high ground, firm ground, and, and ground that was... Uh, friendly to horses and, and uh, a place where a lot of wheat could be grown, a lot of straw, a lot of hay could be found because he would, had this powerful uh, force of chariots fitted with iron. And because of this great strength, he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Now they cried out to the Lord for help. Okay. He sold them under the authority of a, a foreign king and they cried out for help. First point is that things have a way of going south in life. You know, no matter how well things are going now, brace yourself because it's not always going to stay that way. Life has a way of going up and down. You know, there are difficult times. As I said, I, I find that life is hard even when it's good, and it's not always good. Now, people of faith tend to think that this has to do with our relationship with God. As though God turns on every condition of our life, and he's all about personalizing his favor only for us. So if things are going well in our life, we must be pleasing God. And if things are not going well in life, then God must be punishing us. It's just a common way for people to think. And we begin to ask, what have I done to deserve this? As though God punishes those who have become unfaithful. Now what God did sell them, you know, into oppression... He did not punish them. In fact, the Bible says he placed all of the punishment that you deserve on Jesus Christ. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin that you might receive the righteousness of God in him. And so right away, we know it's not for punishment. I mean, would you say that Christ paid like 90% of the dues for your wrong and you got to pay still 10? Or did he pay 100%? And if he paid it all, and we sing so many songs, and there's so many scriptures that pointed out that he did pay it all, then why does God sell us, you know, into difficulty? Well, God disciplines. He does not punish. It's the second point under here. You know, God does discipline. He does redirect our lives from time to time. He cares enough to discipline. In fact, in, uh, in a New Testament book, uh, God makes this point uh, about himself. He said, I will discipline every child I receive. 
What parent is there out here who doesn't discipline a child? If you didn't discipline your children, they would wonder if you loved them. In fact, I guarantee you, if you have a strong-willed child, uh, if you say, here's the line, he'll go. And if you do nothing, he'll go. And if you still do nothing, I mean, he'll go wild because he's begging for you to demonstrate your love through some kind of discipline. And discipline is not the same as punishment. In fact, all of us who have parented multiple children know that one child's discipline is not necessarily like another child's discipline. Some children require a little more attention than others. You know, our purpose is not to make them pay, and it's not God's purpose to make them pay for the wrong that they've done. It's to turn them away from a path of destruction. You know, we simply don't want our kids to continue down a destructive path because their life is going to be a mess. And so even though it brings difficulty into our life, I mean, we want to go to the ball game. We want to go to the park. We want to go swimming. We want to go on the picnic. And now we can't. And I'm as upset as they are, but I simply can't do it because they need to learn a lesson. That's what we're about as parents, teaching lessons. And so that's what God was about. He wasn't punishing them for the wrong, but he wasn't going to allow them to continue down a destructive path. And so he's going to turn them away. And then there's also the matter of consequence. I, I think this is important. There's just consequence for certain behavior. God isn't necessarily even involved in this. You know, if you do certain things, certain things lead to certain outcomes. And those outcomes, you know, if you're doing wrong things, will lead to wrong outcomes. It's just the nature of life. And so we bring it on ourselves or others bring it into our lives. And so it's not always God being actively involved in even the discipline matters. Just our behavior leads to certain outcomes and God allows us to experience the consequence so that we can learn from that behavior. A smart parent will also allow their child sometimes to experience the consequence of their behavior and not always run in and protect them and always shield them uh, from the consequence. That's how children learn. That's how we learn as well. In fact, I even thought about this not only being true in life, but also being true in eternity. You know, when we think about hell and the fact that some are going to end up in hell, we say, why would God send anybody to hell? I don't think really God does that to anybody. I think people do that to themselves. You know, here's how Jesus explained it in John chapter 3, the same chapter that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on to say, whoever believes in him, because they believed, have covered themselves and they are not condemned. We'll be surprised. We'll expect God to say, you know, you weren't always faithful. And God will say, all I see is Jesus when I see you. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's just the truth, which God is only declaring. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light came into the world, but some love darkness instead of the light. So God said, enjoy your darkness. If that's what you want, you know, far be it from me to demand that you love me. Far be it from me to demand that you have my blessing. Now in this world, people do uh, suffer the consequence of not having faith and, and I see them struggle but yet there is faith in this world there are Christians around them so uh, their struggle is somewhat reduced but in eternity there will be no Christians alongside and if God is light and being apart from God is darkness and God says if that's what you want that's what you can have I won't force myself on you then they will live in darkness you know if to be with God is to be in love to be in a place where there is no love sounds difficult, but if that's what you want and you don't want me in your life, then you can have that. So there is discipline, but there is also consequence. And uh, people sometimes just suffer the consequence of their behavior as Israel also did. Well, let's go on with the next uh, section, verses 
4 and 5. Deborah was a judge in Israel. Now Deborah, a prophet, and what is a prophet except a foreteller of God's good news? And uh, I hope that you would be that too, somebody who tells the good news of God in life. They don't always predict the future. Sometimes they just reveal the truth of God. The wife of Labadoth was leading Israel at that time. It was interesting. She was not a designated positional leader. She was a situational leader. She was one who was just recognized for being wise. She held court under the palm of Deborah. Interesting it would be called that because that's where she sat. And so people began to call that tree the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go up to her to have their disputes decided. So people began to go to Deborah because they recognized that this lady was in touch with God. Truth knows no gender, right? It doesn't. You know, truth is where you find it. Now, there are gender roles, and if you missed our series called The Talk, we talked about the roles of men and the roles of women, and God made gender in the world. I'm not going to go there and unpack all of that. There are roles for men, and there are roles for women. There are physical differences. There are other differences uh, in our lives as well. But the ability to know and teach the truth is not gender-based. This was a lady. In fact, in chapter 7 of the next chapter, she says, Village life in Israel had ceased to be all that God intended until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. <laughs> That's what she thought of herself. I'm just a mom in Israel. Uh, how many of us have godly moms? And let me just take a moment to thank all of you moms for being that godly person in your home. You know, if your husband, who should be the spiritual leader of your home, isn't quite there yet. You know, he isn't demonstrating the kind of leadership. You're just saying, I can't wait. My kids can't wait. I need this in my life. My kids need this in life. And so you've just stepped up. And you've noticed that as you stepped up and become an influence, your husband's paying attention. He may not be there yet, but he's watching. In fact, in the New Testament, when Paul said, what happens when a, a non-believer is married to a believer and they come to faith in Christ? Should they leave that relationship? Paul said, certainly no. How else will your husband or your wife be brought to know God if you remove yourself from that situation? And what will become of your children? And, and so godly people uh, have godly influence. How many of us have had a grandmother, you know, uh, who wasn't necessarily leading anything but was a godly person? And every, she led everybody just because of her faith and how obvious it was in life. And, and she didn't push herself on people, but people were drawn to her because of her godliness. Even Dave Ramsey, the guru for Christian financial management, and I recommend his Financial Peace University to you if you're struggling with finance. Guy comes from a gracious point of view and he has real advice to offer. But even he says, my advice is not new. He says, I'll give you uh, the same advice that your godly grandma will give you. I'll just keep my teeth in. That's what he says. And, 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 and truth has a power. Don't be dismissive of anybody who might have the truth because, you know, it doesn't look like they should be a leader. Don't be dismissive of the truth that you hold either and say, no one's going to listen to me. I don't have a position of leadership. I don't have any authority. Don't be dismiss dismissive of the truth that you know. Truth has power. Just share it. You don't have to guarantee the outcome. All you have to do is release it. God says his truth will not return to him void. Truth has a certain power. Don't be dismissive of the truth that you know. Be willing to share it. People resonate to that when they hear it. I think that's why people resonate to Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But even those people, I don't hear uh, being dismissive of Jesus. 
you know, as they study his stories and as they see his teaching, they may even quote him. They might not accept him as their Lord and Savior, may not believe that he is the Son of God as we do. But they still respect him because truth has its power. And uh, they still have to weigh this business about Jesus. It was interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Jobs about Steve Jobs, who was the president and CEO of Apple. Uh, it's out there now. It, it induced me to, to read his book as well. And it's interesting that uh, in his book, he describes an age, uh, a time at age 13 when he was uh, being brought to a Lutheran church by his adoptive parents. Now, think about that. That's about confirmation age. And so all of these years, he was being brought to church. He was being brought to uh, Sunday school, and he heard this story about Jesus. And so this was, this was latent in this adult man's life, all of these years of training. Now, there was a time in which he brought a question to his pastor, and he felt his pastor gave an inadequate answer, and so he left the faith and declared himself to be a Buddhist. And yet, when he was diagnosed with cancer many years later, he began to wonder about this matter of eternal life, and is there a God or not a God? Buddhists don't believe in God. They fashion their lives after just some truth, some philo philosophical understanding of, of divine truth. And, and, and he began to wonder, and I don't know where he ended up with God, it's not for me to say, but I do know this, that he began to question his disbelief, not question his belief, he began to question his disbelief at the end and said, I am convinced that uh, somehow we do continue on. And if he allowed that thought in his mind, I wonder how he might have allowed the training that he received for 13 years about Jesus back into his mind. You know, Jesus uh, is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has its own power. Well, let's continue with verses 6 and 7 of this chapter. It says uh, that Deborah was used by God to inspire Barak. So she sent for Barak, son of Obinoam. Now, he was the appointed leader of Israel. He was the guy who wielded the sword for Israel. Uh, from Kadesh in Naphtali, Naphtali was a, a tribe of Israel, and he said to him, you know, the Lord has laid it upon me to tell you to do these things. He commands you, and she went on to describe, to take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and from Zebulun, northern tribes, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, the commander of the enemy, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, Iron chariots, 900, remember? Where is he going to lead them? To the Kishon River, to the low country. Out of where they resided, into the low country. And I will give them into your hands. God used Deborah to inspire Barak. Notice humility needs no honor. If, if you read this book from cover to cover, you will notice that Deborah is mentioned in Judges chapter 4. She's mentioned in Judges chapter 5. She is... Not mentioned anywhere else in this book. Barak, however, is mentioned in Judges chapter 4, Judges chapter 5, in the writings of Samuel. He's mentioned in the writings of the New Testament because she changed him. Do you think Deborah cares? She doesn't care. She described herself as a mother in Israel. But her leadership changed him. Notice also that God is willing to restore a wayward nation and God is willing to restore a wayward child. You know, Israel had gotten far from God and God cared enough, as we care enough for our children, to say, enough's enough. I'm not going to continue to prosper you on this path. And so he sold them under the influence of an enemy. You know, God will always restore us. You know, no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how far away from God you have come, God will reach out to you. And God will bend down to you. 
You know, if you've reached the end of your rope, tie a knot, go to your knees, and expect God not to say you've made your bed, now sleep in it. He'll say you've made your peace, now receive it. And he will chart for you, as he charted for Israel, a way out of their mess. That is God's business. Now we're going to discover in just a moment how he did that. But God is always eager to restore a wayward child. Humility seeks no honor. In fact, this is true about Jesus as well. You know, he was not only the epitome of truth, he is also the epitome of humility. You know, he didn't need recognition. God is not so uh, arrogant that he needs your praise. We give it to him because of all that he has done for us. But Christ, the Bible says, humbled himself, even to the point of being a servant, even to die for the likes of sinful people. And because of that, God has given him a name which is above every other name. Jesus didn't demand that recognition, never did. Humbly went to the cross and even on the cross prayed for those who crucified him. Humbly just doing God's will in his life, then God gave him the praise. Our praise should not be sought in our friends or in the workplace, but rather from the heart of God, doing what God would have us do. So it was with Christ, so it was with Deborah. And then let's wrap it up with uh, verses 8 through 10 as we continue to read. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go, I won't go either. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, she's not speaking about herself. In fact, when the enemy was put to flight, uh, Sisera, the commander, uh, you know, ran for his life. And he was so exhausted in his fleeing that he sought shelter in a peasant woman's tent. And she gave him shelter, but she recognized him. And when he fell asleep, she took his life in his sleep. So uh, he did fall to the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak uh, to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Let's just admit that there are leaders who have no courage. You know, and, and you might be able to write now, somebody's coming to mind, they're a leader and they have no courage. There are courageous people who don't have an office of leadership. So how do you, a person who isn't necessarily a leader, how do you encourage and affirm one who is? There's a good example in Deborah here. She offered to help Barak. In fact, she came to him with God's counsel. I'm sure she also prayed with him. But she did this in private. She did not cut the legs out from under her leader. It always amazes me that people do that. You know, uh, put down a leader. I mean, it's God's appointed leader. Even David wouldn't do that against Saul when Saul was unfaithful. He tried to turn Saul back to faithfulness. He said, I will never raise a hand against God's anointed. Why would we do that? You know, we are called to help and encourage those leaders. And that's what God would have us do. Outwardly, she remained respectful. You know, when the people saw Barak begin to lead them, who was standing by his side? Deborah. And they said, wow, we know that Deborah is with God. We've wondered about this other guy. But if she's standing with him, then we'll stand with him too. And that's the way it went. And because she stood with him, the other people followed him. She did not demand recognition. Courage is often contagious. It's just that way. Barak found courage in Deborah, and the people found courage in Barak's willingness to lead. 
And these stories continue through uh, chapter 5. I'm just going to make a few points based on that, and then we'll wrap it up here. But what's interesting is that uh, how this all turns out. God asked us to demonstrate faith without knowing the outcome. He asked them to demonstrate faith without knowing the outcome. It didn't change anything. I mean, Sisera still had 900 chariots of iron, and Israel had a foot army. You know, they were going to be destroyed. But God said, lead them down to the river and see what happens. And so uh, in faithfulness, that's what they did. And here's what happens. And the Lord went forth from Seir when you marched on the land of Edom. The earth shook, the heavens poured, and the clouds poured out rain. From heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. I mean, God came alongside. Act in faith. There's an old proverb that says, you know, God is never, uh, never late. God is never early. How's it go? <laughs> God is never late, but he's seldom early. That's how it goes. You know, God is never late, but he's seldom early. So the heavens fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. That age-old river, the river Kishon, marched on, oh, my soul, be strong. You know, so they acted in faith. And then these people who were driving the strength of their army, the armored division, 900 chariots, got bogged down in mud. And uh, these soldiers who were used to fighting from chariots were suddenly on their feet, ill-equipped to fight an army that was used to fighting on its feet, and they were destroyed. So when you act in faith, don't be surprised if God comes alongside in ways you did not anticipate and gives you the victory. Secondly, other people were encouraged by this behavior. In chapter 5, it says in verse 4, O Lord, when you went from Seir, I'm sorry, verse 2, when the princes of Israel took the lead, the people willingly also offered themselves. When leaders dis uh, display courage, other people take courage from leaders. And it also says uh, as well uh, in verse 9, my heart is with Israel's princes and with the willing volunteers who joined them in the battle. Praise be to God. In verse 15, the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley, into the districts of Reuben, and there was much soul-searching among them. You know, it's incredible. Here this Deborah, this mother uh, who is godly, encouraged the leader who found courage in her and her assistance, and everybody else followed and fell in line, and things changed, things happened. And what was the result? The very last verse of chapter 5, and says, the land lay undisturbed for 40 years because of a godly mom, an influencer, an encourager, a nation was saved. Well, let's fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, uh, the chapter that describes all the heroes of faith and it's interesting how it describes the heroes of the old testament he says i don't have time i wish i did because i have more to say but i don't have the time to tell you about gideon wow all the things he did now we know a story about gideon we're going to hear about that next week or barak i wish i could tell you all the things that barak did you know this is not the only thing he became different from this day forward, and he became a different kind of leader, or he wouldn't even be mentioned. By the way, Deborah is not mentioned in this list of heroes, only Barak, and she doesn't care. Samson, Jephthah, or about David and Samuel, or the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. There you have it. 
you know. You gain what was promised. You know, God has made all kinds of promises to us. Promises to prosper us and not to harm us. Promises to give us a hope and a future. All it takes is one faithful person. Yesterday I was asked to, uh, to visit a family who is going to be conducting a memorial service for their 25-year-old son this week. Devastating. That a son would be struck down in the, in the strength of his life. You know, when he should be taking the world by the horns, just graduated a year ago from university. And as I went to, uh, to meet with this family in the afternoon, I drove up on the street and on every mailbox leading to their house, which was at the end of the block, there were yellow ribbons tied. And I thought, I don't know who did that. But what an incredible witness. You know, they were in solidarity, standing with this family that they knew was in depths of despair. And what encouragement I drew from that. And just think of the questions that visitors to the neighborhood must ask. Why are those ribbons out there? And so the story got told over and over that these people were in prayer for this 25-year-old boy young man at the end of the street and then i went in and and visited with that family and uh, in the course of gaining all kinds of information about their son visiting his room and and talking with mom and dad and 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 his brother uh, mom said one of the last conversations i had with my son was son i'm so sorry that you've suffered so much and as a mom man i would in a minute change places with you if i could i would take all this pain from you But I want you to know, son, that as much as you've suffered, you have only suffered a small percentage of what Christ suffered for you. And she says, I I know you can't know my heart, and you're not a mom. My suffering has been extreme as I watched you this last year, and I watched cancer take you. But I know that in all of my suffering, I have suffered only a small percentage of what Mary suffered to watch her son Jesus die. I watched you die for a year, She knew he was dying from the day he was born. For 33 years, she knew this day was coming, innocent though he was. Tell, wow. There is power in a godly mother. There is power in a godly person who has no authority, no position of leadership, and yet incredible influence over a neighborhood, over a pastor, over a congregation. I will never forget that story, and I don't think you will either. You know what? Demonstrated godliness. It doesn't take a leader to change the world. It just takes faithfulness on the part of a godly person. Each and every one of you have that privilege. Each and every one of you have that opportunity. Each and every one of you have that voice. May God give you courage to share it. Amen. Please rise and join with me in a confession as we prepare our hearts to receive this this meal.